Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 55 in our series on the Gospel of John, uh, in which we're looking at John chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, and particularly the Gospel of John. Uh, Some really good stuff for the spiritual life and and what it means to follow Jesus in here. Uh, Just a quick reminder that starting this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we're going to be having our daily readings posted for the season of Lent. You can check them out under 40 Days of Faith at NorthShoreVineyard.org. And uh, those will be posted Monday through Friday, all the way going up to Easter. And also on March 14th, we're going to be doing a live worship recording at the Church with Vineyard Music. We will have childcare for this, uh, so come on out to that. But for now, we're going to go ahead and head to the talk. So thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. I'm going to read our passage for the day. We've been in the Gospel of John uh, for quite some time. We've come to part 55 in our series, and we're in John chapter 15 this morning. Jesus is speaking one of my favorite verses in, in the, I mean, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, particularly in the, the Gospel of John. This is fundamental. Uh, this has been so transformative, if that's a word. Is it Transformative. We vote for it, okay. Uh, It's been very transformative in my own spiritual journey, understanding kind of some of the concepts in this. But it's also been foundational to to what we're trying to do here at the Vineyard. We got a little slogan here that says, Life Connected. It was inspired by this. We want to be people who are connected to Jesus. So, John chapter 15, verses 1, Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to do 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in a fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing. But instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me after all, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. And this is my command. Love each other. Pretty long passage today, but there's all kinds of good stuff in it. Actually, the devotionals I'm putting together, uh, they start with this passage this coming Wednesday. Uh, I, 
I, I love what Jesus does here because he, he does something that sets up the spiritual life in a completely different framework from what most people imagine it to be. I, I have a conversation usually about once a week with somebody that's not in church, uh, maybe at the local cigar shop over here around the corner or when I'm out playing music somewhere or just buying groceries. And I don't go around advertising myself as the Reverend Crispin Schroeder. Uh, <laughs> I don't walk up to people and say, my name's Pastor Schroeder. Uh, some people do call me Pastor. Uh, honestly, it, it feels weird. Uh, and it sounds weird. <laughs> but inevitably, I'll find myself in a conversation with someone, and it will come up at some point, like, so what do you do? And I am go, I'm a pastor. And I guess I don't look like what people expect a pastor to look like. And so all of a sudden, we, we, we hit a very awkward moment in the conversation. Because they start getting all apologetic about the F-bombs that they've been dropping for the last five minutes. And I was actually having a conversation with a couple guys the other day. And they find out I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden it changed the whole tone of the conversation. Because they were talking about all kinds of things. And they kept their conversation going. But as they did, they kept apologizing. And they're like, I'm probably going to hell for this. And, but... <laughs> uh, and, and, and I just told him, I was like, well, I've got to, I'm, I'm keeping a, a, a log on you because that's what pastors do. So I'm, I'm uh, check, okay, you just <laughs> said something about women, something about uh, drugs, something about, uh, but, but why, why I share this is because most people, when they think of Christianity, they, they, they truly think that all it is is a moral code, following the rules, going through some rituals. I mean, even people... In, in, quote, non-denominational churches who are supposed to be like, you know, not all stuffy and stuff. All, if, you, if you really press people what they think Christianity is about, most of them, even if they say it's about loving God, a lot of times when it gets down to it, what they mean, it's about following the rules and showing up to church and, you know, maybe giving and being involved in these things. But it, it's, it's following rules. It's going through rituals. And that's what it is. But what Jesus says in this passage turns our whole conception of religion, uh, particularly Christianity, up on its head. Because Jesus doesn't start with us reading the Bible. He doesn't start with us praying. He doesn't start with us doing anything but being with him. We got, we got some young folk here from Michigan, right? Kalamazoo, right? Yeah. Western Michigan University? Yeah. yeah. I was a young folk one time. You know, back, back when I was about 20, uh, I, I, I came to faith as an adult. I'd, be, I'd, been, I'd grown up in the church, but I, I spent uh, most of my teenage years rebelling against God is, is with all my heart, <laughs> with all of my heart. Uh, and when I finally came back to faith, I, I figured, man, if I've been give, going 100% uh, in this direction, rebelling against God, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like 100% for God. The only problem, and this is what, where a lot of people start with following God, they equate what they did in the world, they, they, they just like put a Christian name on that. So I was really working hard for the enemy, now I'm going to really work hard for God. So in a matter, I mean, it's, it's silly, I, I won't get into the whole story, but within like three weeks, I went from drug culture to extremely conservative Bible college up in Dallas, Texas, and um, which is a, it's, it's like pouring like cold water on a hot radiator. It's, it's just a, a culture shock. 
And within like two months of being at Bible college, I lost my ability to talk with anybody that was not a, <laughs> not a Bible college student. But uh, I became, I went from being this, this hedonistic party guy over here to all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like on the road to being a Pharisee. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm more, I was actually more disciplined at, at age 20 in reading my Bible in prayer than I am now. Um, I would get up every morning, I'd, I'd knock out my three chapters out of the one-year Bible, I'd read my utmost for his highest, I'd put worship music on while I'm taking a shower, I'd go to a prayer group up at the church, I'd pray for an hour, I, I'd, I'd serve in this ministry, that ministry, everything in my life, it was Christian radio, Christian t-shirts, Christian testaments, uh, you know, the, the mints, not the, the, the Bible. Um, you know, I mean, my whole life was, was immersed in everything Christian, and yet... Here's the deal. Within a couple of years, I was done. I was done. I had no life. I was doing all the stuff. I mean, I was following all the rules. I was doing all the Christian things that you're supposed to do. And yet, in all of my Bible reading, all my prayer, and all of that stuff, I wasn't experiencing the life of God. What, 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 what it, it would be like is a, a piece of dead wood trying to bear fruit. You ever tried to manufacture the fruit of the Spirit in your life by sheer will and determination? You ever try that? How's that working for you? That, that's what I was trying to do. Like, I, you know, I, I came to Christ. I had all these issues with anger and jealousy and lust and insecurity. I had all this stuff, and I hated it. And I'm just going to... By golly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get me some self-control, and I'm going to love people, and I'm going to stop being full of pride and selfishness. And after about three years of trying really hard, I, I just finally gave up. I'm like, God, if, 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 <laughs> if this is the abundant life, I'm missing something. <laughs> Maybe there's something more than just reading the Bible and prayer and church activities and Christian radio and Christian... T- Maybe there's something more than that. And that's when I kind of stumbled across this. Because Jesus doesn't start from a place of our doing anything. He starts from a place of being. The Christian life gets turned on its head because really, as Jesus says, it's not a matter of doing a bunch of stuff. It's a matter of being connected to Him. His goal, the goal of Jesus, the, the purpose of God is that you would bear fruit. That's what Jesus says. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants me to bear fruit. And he wants that fruit to remain. But all of our religious activities can't do that. So he shows us a different approach to the spiritual life, one that actually has life in it. And the truth is that, that each of us can, can look to something else. We can, we can graft ourselves onto another kind of vine. Have you ever done that before? Sometimes we, what we do is we graft ourselves onto another person. You ever look to another person for life before? You don't have to nod your head. It's all right. We call that codependency in the, in the psychological term. Uh, it, people addiction. You ever had somebody addicted to you? They were looking to you for life? That's a horrible thing. When somebody is, is, is depending on you, I mean, maybe it's fun at first, but, but after a while, if somebody has put you in a place of, of being the source of their life, What's going what's gonna to happen is, is you're going to feel unbelievable pressure all the time. And then ultimately that person's going to get mad at you because you can't be God to them. You will disappoint them. You'll let them down. You can't live up to their expectations. We look to other people sometimes. We graft our life onto them for life. With that vine, don't produce fruit. 
our good fruit at least. Sometimes it's, it's not our, our spouse or a significant other, but maybe it's our kids. I've seen, I've seen quite a few people who, they, they get so immersed in the life of their kids, um, which loving your kids is good and being involved in their life, that's good. But when it steps over the line and you're looking to your kids for life, that, that's, that's not a good foundation. And oftentimes when these kids graduate high school and they move on, the marriage falls apart. Because that's the only thing that was holding it together was the kids. I think probably for a lot of people in the room, the, the temptation is to find your identity, to find your purpose, your life, and your job. John Eldridge, who wrote the book Wild at Heart, I, I remember uh, reading from him and he said, you know, he, was, he had a, an adulterous relationship with a mistress, you know, he had a mistress in his marriage. But he says his mistress wasn't a woman. It was his job. He got something out of working. Because he said, you know, going to work, like it had rules. It had things. You get a project done, have a meeting, send a memo, do this, do that. And you could get fulfilled at the end of the day because you, you got it done. But he said being a father and a husband was much more mysterious. Rules didn't apply the way they worked in the workplace. And so his job became a lot more fulfilling to him. It became his mistress. He was looking for life from that. You know, there's some days that... <laughs> Honestly, there's some days, I, I know we got a lot of folks in our church that, that do uh, construction. You know, we've probably got more contractors in this church than anything. Thank you, contractors. We love you. <laughs> Give a hand up for all the contractors. Yes. Contractor Appreciation Sunday. We'll have one of those, okay? We'll serve bacon rolls or something. Um, there are days where I wish I built houses. I mean, except for the fact that I'm not very good at that. But at least when you're a contractor, you can see what you're building, right? Like at the end of the day, you can say, we hung sheetrock today. As a pastor, it's a little bit more mysterious at the end of the day because you're dealing with the work of God in people's lives. There's some days I'm like, God, I, I feel tired. <laughs> I feel worn out. Is there anything that happened today? But the problem is that that when we look at the spiritual life, the metaphors that Jesus uses time and time again are not the metaphors of construction. They're the metaphors of agriculture. And agriculture is a different kind of work altogether. The work of farming is much different than the work of building. And it's not rewarding on the front side, right? You build something, you can see what's going on. You can, you can see the progress. What Jesus invites us into is something that's a little bit more mysterious. It's the work of the Spirit. It's organic. It's, it's an organic process. You know, Jesus, in, in addition to this kind of picture of, of a vine, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he often uses uh, very kind of agricultural uh, illustrations. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds, and yet it grows to be the biggest plant in the garden, a, a plant in which the, the birds actually make their nest. It looks like a tree. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven uh, or yeast in a, in, a, in a loaf of dough that you, you can't see what's going on. It looks so small and insignificant, yet if you ye leave that yeast there in a matter of, of time, that whole dough is infected with the life of it. It's an organic process. Has anybody in here tried to garden before? 
I tried a few years ago when we started this church. I was like, I'm planted a church. I'm going to plant a garden. I realized I'm going to just stick with the church. <laughs> um, the thing is with planting a garden, it is, it doesn't feel, it's, it's not very exciting for a while. You put this tomato seed or this bell pepper seed or this watermelon seed in the ground and you trust that something's going on. You can't see it. You trust that somewhere in the darkness, in the seclusion, that, that life is happening, but you don't know because you can't see it. You can't see it for a while. And then finally, uh, you know, maybe a couple weeks into it, you see the first little sprig of life coming up from the ground. But still, even then, the little, the little thing that pokes up, it doesn't look very significant. It doesn't look like tomatoes and watermelons. It looks like this little blade of grass that if the wind blows enough, it would just knock it over. But eventually, if there's sunshine and rain... If the, if the climate is right, this plant will produce tomatoes. You will see bell peppers. You will see a watermelon. But it's a slow process. Jesus says this is, this is what the process of life is like in the spiritual journey. See, the Pharisees, they were all about working. We're, we're going to make stuff happen. We got rules. We got this. We got that. We got the way you talk, the way you look, the way you dress. We got all these external things. But Jesus critiqued them on it. He says, you Pharisees, you clean up the outside, but, but the inside is, is just full of darkness, death. It's like a cup that's dirty on the inside and clean on the outside. You clean up the outside, but it's, nobody wants to drink anything from that cup. Jesus invites us into a way of being that doesn't start with the outside. It doesn't start by dressing up the outside, by cleaning up the outside, by doing external activities. It starts as an internal process. And when you, when you start connecting to Jesus this way, if you are a task A type, I mean a task oriented type A goal setter, it will be aggravating for you. It will feel uncomfortable. You'll feel like a spiritual slacker. You'll feel like you're, you're just not doing something right. We should be winning the world for Jesus, by golly. But if you stay with it, just like staying with the garden, you will begin to see the fruit of God's Spirit come forth. God will bring His life forth. You know, when I gave up trying to make myself a better person, when I gave up on that project, my self-improvement project, when I gave up on that, uh, I... I yeah, I did kind of feel like a slacker at first. I felt like, ah, you know, just, I don't know if I'm doing anything great. But eventually, the Spirit of God began to overcome my anger and my jealousy. The Spirit of God moving in my life, the love of God began to come forth where I valued others more than my own selfishness. I began to have humility instead of arrogance, thinking that I know, knew everything. So, how do we abide? Jesus says we need to abide in the love of God. One of my favorite movies, The Big Lebowski. The dude abides. All right. That's just a little bone for all the Big Lebowski lovers. The dude abides. What's it mean to abide? It means to live in. To, to, to uh, remain in. So how do we remain in the love of God? How do we live there? 
Well, one way is that we reflect and we remember. You know what we do here in worship this morning? You know, one of the reasons why we worship is not just to have a couple of the, the, the pregame show, have a couple of cool songs before we get the message going. We, we reflect together. And when we're singing with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength, Jesus, I love you. You know what we're doing? We're remembering Jesus. We're reflecting on Jesus together. When we take communion here, we're remembering Jesus, his body broken, his blood. When we remember, we begin to feel the love of God, don't you? You ever, you ever notice that? It's not that the love of God changes. I mean, God loves you the same today as he will always love you. His love is without condition. But you're feeling that love has to do with remembering, being aware. We did this little exercise in our marriage class the other night. Um, very simple exercise. Sit there with your partner and write down five things that you like about your spouse. And each person had to do this separately and then share what they liked about each other. It's amazing. Very simple exercise. But in sharing things that you like about the other person, it's amazing when you do that together, you feel love. I've been married to Dina for 16 years. I can tell you, I, I don't wake up every morning with butterflies in my stomach anymore, you know? It's not like, oh, my God, can, can we talk on the phone for two hours? Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but when Dina and I sit down and we write down some things that, that we love about each other and we share them with each other, all of a sudden, boom, we begin to feel each other's love. Does it mean that we didn't love each other before? No, but now we get to feel it. God wants you to feel his love. And you feel his love by reflecting and remembering Jesus. You, you just get into a state of being thankful and grateful. You know, even your kids, you know, like you can kind of get aggravated by your kids. But sit down for a moment and think about what you love about your kids. And it's like, oh, you know, your heart just gets warm. So God's love doesn't change, but our ability to live in that love changes. Now, the, 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 the next thing, so Jesus says, remain in my love. But then he also says, uh, if you keep my commands, if you obey my commands. There's, there's two dirty words that, that we don't like to say, particularly in Protestant versions of the church. It's obey and commands, right? Like, ugh. Obey and command. Bleep, bleep. <laughs> uh, Jesus says obey my commands. Now here's the good news. What's his, what's his command? He, say, he makes this very clear, his command. Uh, this is my command. Love each other. This is my command. Love one another the way that I've loved you. No pressure. Just the way that Jesus loves us. Let's love each other like that, okay? <laughs> oh. You know, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, I, I'm hoping like when we get done with the Gospel of John somewhere down the road, I want to do a series on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. I love the Beatitudes. A lot of times we look at the Beatitudes and we think it, that, that it's just inspirational and, oh, that's, that's sweet. But that, that's the ways of Jesus. That's like, if you want to know what the life of Jesus is like, follow the Beatitudes. Jesus opens up the story by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Dallas Willard would, would, would classify this as lucky bums. Blessed are you when you realize you're just, you, like you didn't bring anything to the table. You're poor. You got nothing. Blessed are you because now... Because you've realized that, you, you get to step into the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you show mercy because you will be shown mercy. 
Jesus makes it clear that, that if we want to really understand forgiveness, try forgiving. I, I love what he says in the Beatitude Sermon. He says, and I'm, I'm using the Eugene per- Peterson paraphrase from the message. He says, you are the salt that brings out the God flavors in this world. You're the light that brings out the God colors. Have you ever tried living in such a way as to bring out the best in other people? I mean, we do that with our kids sometimes. But you ever tried that like with other people, adults? Try to bring out the best in other people? I guarantee you the moment that you start doing that, you experience the love of God in your life. Why? Because you're stepping into the ways of Jesus. Whenever we in, endeavor to not live selfishly, but to, 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 to love others, to walk in humility, to extend grace, mercy, compassion, we begin to experience God's, ourself, God's love ourselves. You know, back in the summer, we, we talked about um, one of my favorite series that we did here, The, the Prodigal Son. And I, and I mentioned in The Prodigal Son story that there's, there's two ways to be estranged from God. There's the older brother and the younger brother. The younger brother, he leaves the father's house and he goes and wastes the father's inheritance on prostitutes and partying. And, and when he was in that, he wasn't experiencing the father's love, was he? Now, did the father's love for him change? No. We see, it, we see in the story of the prodigal son, the father was looking out the window every day. Is he coming home? But it was only when this, this young son returned back to the father that, that he got the embrace of the father, that he actually began to experience the love of God. On the other hand, we have the older brother who lived in the house, but he didn't experience the father's love either because he was so, uh, so focused on his own personal performance. He was living like the Pharisees. It was all external. It was all what he could do. It was all the best he could do. It was all selfishness. He didn't experience the love of the father either. The love of God doesn't change for you. But your experience of your abiding in the love of God is contingent on walking in the ways of Jesus. And this is why, you know, if you look at paper, if you, if you put it on paper, a Pharisee and a follower of Jesus would look very similar. But if you bump into a Pharisee or you bump into a follower of Jesus, it's a decidedly different thing, isn't it? You ever bumped into a Pharisee before? I used to be a Pharisee that people bumped into. You ever bump into a Pharisee? This is, how, this is how a Pharisee feels to you. You get around somebody who's just a religious Pharisee, you, 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 you start feeling guilt, condemnation, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you don't look right. It doesn't feel like life. You get around a follower of Jesus though, and it feels like joy, it feels like peace. You walk away hopeful. I, I was telling the last service this, that when I was growing up, uh, you know, my dad, we'd go to Dallas to visit my grandmother. And my dad, growing up, they had this African-American lady that would come over uh, and uh, was kind of a, a house cleaner, when a maid at their house. And um, her name was Gertrude. And I remember as a kid, we'd go to Dallas to see my grandmother. My grandmother was not very nice to be around a lot of times. She had a lot of bitterness and resentment. But we'd always go to Gertrude's house. And Gertrude lived across town. She had this little, you know, modest house in, in Dallas. And I just remember sitting there in her living room and she was just so filled with joy. She was in her 70s or 80s. And she, oh, Crispin, how you doing? 
And I just remember being around her and I would walk away. I mean, as a kid, it made an impression on me. This woman, and, and really, honestly, I've shared this before. She's probably a reason I'm here. She used to pray over my dad's bed and stuff when she was cleaning up. When she was around there doing housework, she would pray. My dad was getting into crazy stuff. My uncle was. It wasn't a Christian family. They'd go to church, but it was just a social thing. And, and my dad encountered God. And I, I believe that, that, that she plays a place in, in, in my journey. But I remember as a kid getting around her, and I'd walk away, and it's like we were around an angel. She was just full of the life of God. It was just pouring out. And this gets to the next point about bearing fruit. The reason I believe that God wants us to bear fruit is because the seed of the kingdom is in the fruit of the Spirit. The seed of the kingdom of God is in the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever cut open a tomato and seen what's on the inside? What do you have? Well, you got stuff, but you got seeds. <laughs> At the core of an apple, you have seeds. Do you realize the reproductive me- mechanism of a plant is in its fruit? That's how f- plants reproduce. They don't reproduce by their leaves or their stems or their roots. They reproduce by their fruit. And I believe that that's the way God wants the, the kingdom of God to come. It, it's, yes, yes, we believe in sharing our faith, telling people about you, Jesus. Yes, we, we believe in, in, in doing things, doing good things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to be people who have fruit. Because that's how the kingdom of God is spread. People, what was that song we sang this morning? Taste and see what the Lord, that the Lord has rescued me. Taste and see the goodness of God in my life. You get around somebody that's got the fruit of the Spirit, man, they, that tastes good. I like being around that person. I feel more at peace. I feel life when I get around that person. I believe this is how God wants, the kingdom of, wants his kingdom to spread. It's through his good fruit in our life, his love, his joy, his peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that, that when people get around us, they see that. They taste it. I want to read uh, a passage out of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is from the message uh, translation. And I, I think when it comes to fruit... Just listen to these words, because this sums up what it's all about more eloquently. We could have just read this and sent you home. but uh. <laughs> It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on. You know, that might describe the life that you've been leading. Maybe, maybe you come in here today, you're like, man, that, that sounds like my life. That's life disconnected from Jesus. But he doesn't stop there, thank God. 
He says, this isn't the first time I've warned you. You know, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and the conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Isn't that good? When we are connected to God, He brings goodness forth in our lives. And then, and then, whatever you're doing, whether it's as a mother or a father, a husband, a wife, working on the job, serving in the community, now it comes from the fruit of God. I think one of the biggest problems that the church has now in the, nowadays, most people in the church that make the news, at least, <laughs> don't have any spiritual fruit. You know, people in the world... They can tell whether you got the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm tired of just hearing week after week there's something about how Christians are pointing their finger at other people and trying to exclude this group or that group and and trying to point out all the stuff. You know, one other thing this thing says in here, Jesus says, guess what? My father's the vine dresser. He's the guy that figures it all out, okay? So if we live in the, the glorious freedom of being connected to Jesus, guess what? We, have to, we, we get to stop working on trying to make fruit ourselves. We can trust that God's going to figure out who's, who's connected or not. And we can get about the business of loving people. And it is in that that the kingdom of God will come. So I want to close with, with just a couple of reflective questions because I've gone long today. I'm sorry about that. Um, First thing I want you to consider, are you connected to the vine? I'm not saying that you're not a, a Christian, but are you connected to the vine? Do you have the life of Jesus in your life, or is it just dead religious ritual to you? Maybe today, you need to just connect with Jesus. When people see you, do they see the fruit of the Spirit? How does your life taste to other people? Is it just all rules? Or is there life? I want to pray for you. I want to pray a blessing. God, I I bless your people today gathered here. Lord, I, I pray a blessing that you would, you would help us to live in your love. Lord, help us to stay connected to you and not to anyone else. Help us to live in your ways, God. Help us to, 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 to forsake the ways of selfishness and self-centeredness. Help us to forsake the ways of religion and to draw life only from you, God. I pray that this church, uh, that we would be a community And when the rest of the folks on the North Shore bump into us, that they would say, that group of people, they taste like love, like peace, like hope, like goodness. Lord, bless us with good fruit in this church, God. Bless us with the fruit of your spirit in our lives, God. 
that your kingdom would come in us and through us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the prayer team up here. If you want to stick around and get some prayer for anything in specific, stick around. Otherwise, we've got another church that has to get here in a few minutes, so God bless y'all.